Books to viewers and listeners, here I am from home again. And if you'll notice my great shirt with birds on it, my guest Janice was most appreciative of it. I love birds and she loves birds too. So let me introduce you to Janice Deal, who is an author who would be primarily known for her short stories, but now she has a book out and it's called The Sound of Rabbits. Isn't the cover gorgeous? I really, really enjoyed reading this. And I'm going to kind of give you the bare bones of the plot after, with no spoilers after I introduce Janice. So Janice, welcome to Books 2. Eileen, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. Let me ask you first, as primarily a short story writer, um, do, all, do you think all short story writers have a novel stuffed away somewhere? <laughs> oh my gosh, the question for the ages. Well, I'll tell you, The Sound of Rabbits actually began as a short story. And um, I was workshopping it in Fred Schaefer's writing workshop. And um, the consensus pretty early on was there were a lot of characters. There was a lot going on. It was really too much for a short story to bear. And so I, I really, um, I liked these characters though. And I decided to make the leap and expand it into a novel. And I will say for your question, um, that was not an intuitive leap for me because I think of myself as a short story writer, but I did really revel in the liberating effect of being able to give these characters, you know, lots of room to breathe. Right, and give you lots of room to try things, make mistakes. I take a short story class through uh, a wonderful writer named Kaylee Schoen, who's based out of Arlington, Mass. I've been taking class with her for a few years now. Where we just read short stories, usually the best American short stories. Now we're doing the best mystery and thriller stories. Okay. Um, and I love the class. And it's really taught me so much about how to read a short story. And um, Kaylee writes flash fiction. So she really can explain um, the skills it takes to craft a short story as opposed to a novel. In a short story, everything has to be spelled out very quickly. And there really can't be any fat. A novel has room. A lot of novels I read, I'm like, oh, you know, you could have removed 100 pages and it would have made it a better <laughs> book. But yeah. never for a short story because, you know, they're bare bones, but they have so much that they have to accomplish in that short period of time. In fact, um, I'm really um, intrigued by something you said a moment ago, um, just the necessary conciseness. With short stories, it's almost like poetry. Um, you know, every line, every line counts. And not that that's not the case with novels, but again, you just have a little bit more elbow room. Um, and I guess editing short stories, um, if you were an editor, it would be much easier to keep, you know, to, to be a professional editor for short stories. Because again, there's, there's a lot less to do and probably a lot fewer conflicts with your author, though, that could be wrong. <laughs> and you could tell me that more about that. <laughs> so I'm going, to talk about to this. <laughs> I'm going to talk about the structure of the book because I really, I thought it was very well structured. The structure of the book is that uh, it deals with two sets of sisters. Um, one set 
uh, is Ruby and Val. And Ruby has moved from small town Wisconsin, a little town called Ladyford, which I guess you made up because I Googled it and I couldn't find it. <laughs> and Ruby has escaped to Chicago as she always felt she would. And her sister Val has stayed in the small town and Val has had two daughters of her own. And then there's the matriarch of the family, Barbara, who, uh, when we meet her, is already uh, in bad physical shape. And the reason that Ruby comes back home is to help take care of Barbara because Val guilts her into it. Um, but so that's the basic structure. And there are two very good men in the book. So uh, it's nice to have heroes too. One of them is Moon, who's Barbara's brother or the uncle to Ruby and Val. And he's a very endearing character. He, You know what? He reminded me of some Kent Haroof characters. Have you read any of Kent Haroof? I mean, he really was, he could have fit right into one of their books, one of his books. Eileen, I have to tell you, you literally just made my day because <laughs> that Haroof trilogy, I adore it. And thank you. <laughs> I, I'm so deeply touched by that. Thank you. You're welcome. So let me ask you, since the main question for this in this book to me is, can you go home again? Can you really go home again? And did you ever leave? Um, what What do you think are the answers to those very difficult questions? Eileen, very perceptive questions. Um, and it's funny, I was just talking to a friend about this. You know, I think we can go home again but we're invited constantly by life to pivot, um, to accept the changes that have taken place in life, and also um, to be willing to expand or change the roles we had in our place of origin, because we've changed. The town's changed, we've changed, and, um, your question kind of gets to the heart of too. When I was writing this book, you know, there's this series of characters, but I thought of Ladyford as a character too, because it has so profoundly shaped who Ruby is. And you might have mentioned this man, she could not get out of that town fast enough. And she carried with her this idea of, well, you know, that's my past. Um, and during the course of the book, you know, she realizes we are so shaped by where we come from, you know, for good, for bad, neutral. Um, and it, you know, so our place of origin shapes us. It shapes who we are, but also who we can become. And um, uh, that was something that really interested me when I was working on the book. So um, Ruby moves from the small town in Wisconsin to Chicago not being from the Midwest and being from the East Coast, I know the trajectory is usually, you know, leave wherever you're from on the East Coast and go to New York or yeah. maybe go to Boston from school. Is Chicago like that for Midwesterners in general, do you think, the, like the Mecca? Yeah, you know, um, that is a really good question. Um, I can't speak for everyone. Um, it definitely was for Ruby. And I think just because of um, Chicago represents 
in the same way New York City and Boston does, you know, a place of uh, becoming, of opportunity, of art. And um, Ruby, I can't remember if I'd mentioned this, you know, her love is music. And when she goes to Chicago, she keeps on thinking, oh, I'm going to make music my career. And she kind of falls into a corporate job that she's actually really good at, but um, her love is music. And that's what took her there. I loved the contradiction between, you know, adoring music, falling into a corporate job, and then not being able to figure out how to keep a hand in music to surrender completely to the corporate job. I, I had that happen to me. I started out running camera for a local cable TV operation and then they needed an office manager. So I went over to the business side, never going back to local production until book stew came about. So um, I, and then, you know, I had a big, a long corporate career in banking. So um, I think it, if you have creative outlets, you can probably handle it. But I think to go fully corporate or fully creative is very hard on your soul or a very hard way to make a living. It's, um, yeah, it's an interesting tension, isn't it? And um, I know that um, uh, in the, in what you just described, your your journey and in Ruby's journey, the curse was you, Ruby, were really good at this other thing. And, you know, we get rewarded for what we're good at. And it's easy to lose sight of what might have brought you to a place in the first place. When you were writing the book, were Ruby and Val, who were the primary characters, were they, did they come to your mind first? Because I think having uh, comparisons between Ruby and Val and then Val's two girls sets up a very nice structure. Oh, Eileen, thank you for saying that. Um, I am very interested in how, you know, in any family, you've got siblings. And I wonder if it's just like an evolutionary thing. We all kind of create our own uh, ways so that we stand out in the family. And um, in the case of Ruby and Val, Ruby was the smart one and Val was the pretty one. And Dakota and Junie, partly because of their difference in ages, um, Dakota's like 13, um, Junie I think is about six. And um, they're at different stages of development too. And um, those, but we also come out of the box a certain way. You know, Ruby's the extrovert, Val's kind of an introvert. Um, Dakota's, you know, she's so passionate. Junie is a pleaser. Um, you know, we all find our roles that work for us in a, in a given situation. And whether we grow or expand on those roles, it's as unique as the individuals. I, there was one character that I wanted to mention and then I'm gonna ask you to do a short reading. Um, there's the character Tim who just, uh, this was one of the, <laughs> he's, there's something very funny about him. He's Ruby's ex-boyfriend and um, they, you know, they were the, a class couple for sure. And then Ruby breaks it off with him when she leaves to go to college. And 
she doesn't see much of him in her infrequent visits, but this time she's home because her mother is ill and she runs into Tim. Tim is a dentist, which you could say uh, his kind of bland nature, though though nice, uh, that could have been predicted that he would be a dentist. And then it turns out he and his wife also manage a motel. And Ruby is like, but you're a dentist. And he's like, well, in small towns, it takes two jobs. And I'm like, what dentist has to work a side gig? But he was very <laughs> sweet and it was very funny. And the description of the motel that he managed and he and his wife lived in like an apartment, the, the manager's apartment in the hotel. I have, I, since I have never lived in a small town, I've never experienced anything like that. Do you have the experience, life experience that kind of built in that very funny scenario? Um, uh, I, I don't, um, but I did do some homework and I still remember, oh my gosh, this was years ago when The Sound of Rabbits was going to be a short story. My husband, David and I, we were up in Northern Wisconsin and we were just driving around small towns and we found a motel. We just passed a motel and it, you know, it was classic, like, you know, where the cars drive up right to where the um, motel rooms are. And I was so taken with that. And um, actually, Eileen, this is so cool. You asked this question. I almost forgot when this all began, it began with the place. It began with the motel. And then it all kind of expanded from that. And I do want to also say, I just adore you. Not only did you bring up Kent Haroof, but you mentioned the humor. And in a book that, you know, uh, can be kind of bleak or dark, you know, the themes of mortality. Um, I do, I do think it's funny sometimes too. And I'm so glad, I'm so glad you picked up on that. Well, there were so many interactions, you know, with Ruby going home or trying to go home and Val being the one who had been there all along, where, you know, Ruby would kind of be kind of clueless about what was going on. And Val would be like, well, you know, if you'd only stuck around here and helped me take care of Barbara, the mother, then you'd know this and you wouldn't have to ask me questions. But um, I'm going to ask you now to do that short reading and you'll have to do some setup. But okay. um, this was a part that I just really loved. And it's funny that now hearing about you going to northern Wisconsin and just driving around in the motel being the inspiration, this is a driving section of the book. It's, um, uh, thank you, Eileen. Um, this, this passage of the book takes place pretty early on. Um, Ruby has gotten a call from Val saying, please come home. Mom's had a setback. So Ruby sets off in the middle of the night. She's driving to Ladyford and she ends up pulling over at a roadside oasis. And when she's there, she's put in mind of, it sparks a memory of when they were both much younger, Ruby had just gotten her driver's license and she and Val would take road trips. And um, their uncle, who was still living at the time, uh, he would show his interest in caring in a very specific way. So, all right. Um, the trips became an act of defiance then. 
she and Val ate chocolate in the car. They rolled their windows down and drove to the silty moraines in Kiwanee County, west to South Dakota and the Mitchell Corn Palace, the Badlands, east to the Tony residences of Door County's Fish Creek. It didn't matter where they went. Ruby loved anonymity. The fact that if someone looked askance at her sister's dirty face, at the strain of her own pearl blouse buttons, they were gonna move on anyway. At those times, she didn't actively miss her mother. That was years away yet. At those times, oh, she and Val planned nothing, sleeping in the car or staying in cheap motels with money that Moon gave them, coming home only in time for Girl Scout camp or Ruby's job at the local movie theater or school if it was in session. One time they drove through the night, Val sleeping in the back seat, Ruby pulled over and woke her to see the Aurora Borealis pulsing and dying, pulsing and dying in the Northern sky. Barbara showed little curiosity about their trips, but Moon listened to their stories, sometimes packing CDs he'd burned for them to listen to on the road. Classical, B.B. King, ZZ Top, Willie Nelson and Monts, and probably an Icelandic group called the Sugar Cubes. He said he chose the music to go along with their destination, though the connections he made were never clear. How did Hotel California have anything to do with Mount Rushmore? But Ruby loved the surprise of it. The rule was that she or Val would dip their hand into the bag and whatever they pulled out, they had to play. The music was, is a solace. Even now, she can't listen to Lou Reed without feeling comforted, as though Moon is taking care of her. She didn't know how to tell him how much it meant to her, those grocery bags he packed with CDs, but she and Val always brought a little something back from him, from places like the one where Ruby stands now. Thank you, Ladybird, Moon would say. He called her that. It was their joke, she always thought, a play on Ladyford, on flight. He must have guessed how badly she wanted to leave town. At some point, Val and Barb took it up, and for a while before she moved away, even Tim used the pet name. Up until his death, Moon kept an ancient freezer filled with venison steak, and it was decorated with magnets from the Midwestern attractions that drew them then. They were so different. Even as girls, Val sat erect in the passenger seat, alert and silent, watching, and Ruby could not imagine what she thought about. But Ruby talked for the both of them, or sang to Moon's music. She prefers noise. She is the kind of person who leaves the television on. Back then, she appreciated that her sister, though quiet, was good company. Sarah! Ruby, who has been wandering the aisles of Little Mart in the roadside oasis, looking for something, a packaged snack maybe, that will fill her up, whirls to see a thin woman, cheeks and chin raw from the wind, pulling a little girl by the arm. Come on then, the woman huffs. The child's face is slick with tears. They are hurrying to the bathroom and the girl who doesn't wear a coat clutches an ugly plastic doll as if it were treasure. Ruby, who remembers what it was like, pities most of the children she sees. It's, it's so evocative. And, you know, when you think of 
road movies, books that are on the road, on the road, the book. You don't yeah. think of women very much. And you don't think of women, you know, unless it's something like Thelma and Louise, which I like to think about and don't like to think about. Um, <laughs> the freedom of the drive and the fact that they were so companionable in the car when they were younger um, versus the conflicts they have when they're older. Um, it, that memory in the book is only Ruby's. But I wonder if Val, you know, has any memory of it, thinks about it, because it's a it's a very reassuring and comforting passage that even though you were in a tiny town, you could still get out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's um, Eileen, that's a really interesting point. Um, and again, subjectivity of experience. Val's experience of those trips was a little bit different. And um, we've. Um, spoiler alert, you know, we find out later in the book, we get a glimpse of how Val saw those trips. And um, it gives us a clue as to why they ultimately stopped. But I'll say no more. <laughs> all right. All right. I have one other quote I wanted to, uh, to share um, with, uh, with the viewers and listeners. And this... Um, I'm not sure of when this comes. Maybe Ruby is, is with Dakota, who's Val's older daughter, and she's just thinking. She says, sometimes Ruby wonders how it will be when there is no longer an older generation to be accountable to. It will be like the end of the Titans, she thinks. Quiet, maybe. That is something that all of us either have dealt with we'll be dealing with, our children will be dealing it. It's just, you know, the endless um, flow of generations. But I, lo I love the Greek myths and, um, and Greek stories. So to throw the Titans in there, even though in the, these days it's probably comic book universe, Marvel Titans or something. But um, <laughs> I liked her thought about whether it would be quiet or not. And the quieting of one voice, your mother's, your father's, a few voices, aunts and uncles, um, really leaves such a gap and an empty space. And I think all you can do is fill it up with, you know, with what you remember, hopefully the happy. Yes, um, very, very well said. And in fact, um, uh, one of the themes in this book is as Ruby and Val are having experiencing this long goodbye with their mom, who um, uh, because of various health issues is now experiencing memory issues too. Um, Barbara was the kind of mom who saw her children clearly and built them up for who they were. And what happens when your champion is no longer there? You have to look within. And Ruby's at a place in her life when um, she's being invited to do that um, at the same time that she's called back to a town where there are some people who have some axes to grind with her. So, you know, uh, how they see her and how she sees herself as she's kind of trying to define this next chapter, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a, it's a brew. Would you... 
are the characters, are you finished with these characters or might you uh, go back to them? Oh my gosh, Eileen, great <laughs> question. I think I'm done with them, but you know, I've said that before. I um I have a story collection coming out this fall and there were these two characters, a mother and daughter. I thought I was done with them. They're in a couple of stories in this collection and lo and behold, they cropped up again in a novella I was working on. So, you know, sometimes unbidden, uh, these folks come back and they um, demand to be heard again. Well, Dakota, to me, the 13-year-old is somebody who, at this stage in the novel, has her whole life in front of her. And she's, I just think she's a perfectly ornery and delicious 13 year old. So if you, <laughs> if you ever decide to um, include her in a short story or even a novel, I'd be, I'd be very, really very happy to, to see her again. Oh my gosh. Well, um, Dakota and I both, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're running low on time. So um, I'm going to uh, show the viewers and readers viewers and listeners, again, and the listeners can't see the book cover. The book, again, is The Sound of Rabbits, and it's available, I assume, on Amazon, but hopefully also at an indie bookstore, because we always like to promote indie bookstores and hopefully libraries. And what what is the name of your short story collection that's going to be coming out? It's called Strange Attractors, and it's, um, once again, set in a fictional small town but the stories are linked. So you start to see characters again. So um, did any, don't you think like the literary world, my last question, owes a great debt to Elizabeth Strout for basically bringing to the forefront linked short stories? I mean, I maybe oh, people yes. did them, I, but even, you know, short story mass uh, experts and and renowned short story writers you know i'm thinking of alice monroe i think she did some linked short stories but um oliver kittredge was olive kittredge was like the first uh linked short story book i can ever remember reading it's oh my gosh eileen yes when i read that collection it blew the doors off the barn for me because one of the things i remember is in the opening story I met Olive and I was kind of like, wow, kind of unlikable. And boy, by the end of the, by the end of the book, I loved Olive. And I think it was in fact, not only the idea of linked stories, but I want to say that seeing Olive from all those different perspectives in those linked stories um, underlined for me the interest and fascination of multiple perspectives, which then, you know, I explored in the novel. Well, I'm, I'm glad you, you appreciated it just as much as I did. And um, I'll be looking forward to reading your short story collection. Um, oh. I've, I've had a wonderful time speaking with you and I hope that will um, we'll generate some interest in uh, people reading more about the wonderful characters you created and, and even 
you know, the town of Ladyford, which in its own way is pretty fascinating, and the dentist who also manages a motel. <laughs> so um, thanks again, Janice, for joining me on Book Stew, and uh, I wish for continued success, and um, maybe we'll have you back on uh, next year when uh, and talk about the short stories, if you'd like. Oh, Eileen, thank you so much. Um, it's Thanks for spending time with me with my book and um it's really been a pleasure all right books to viewers and listeners um please be on the lookout for janice's book i think you'll you'll really enjoy it as much as i did there's a lot of humor and pathos which you know is what is what uh small towns are made of <laughs> so thanks again and uh, have a good night